Welcome to the RSP Campus to Canton podcast. Um, as always, I'm joined by Felix Sharp. Every other week we do this show. And we also have a new regular to our show, um, Kyrie Demos, who is um, writing for me at the Rookie Scouting Portfolio site, doing a great column called Towing the Line, which takes a look at a lot of the trench players that you're going to see in some marquee matchups, as well as guys that he's keeping his eye on that don't play in the trenches. You know, the, the less skilled players. We'll put less in, in parentheses here for, you know, you know, because I know these trench players always look at guys like me who are talking about quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end and go, why do they call these guys the skill position? The true skill's on the line. But anyway, Kyrie, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us tonight. Well, thank you both. Um, you know, good, good evening to you two, sirs. I'm glad to be joining you both, and um, just knowing, you know, what you both have accomplished in this space, um, I'm honored to, to even share this space with you both, but really just excited to be able to talk some ball and um, share a little bit of my expertise and, you know, being a former lineman and, uh, talking about the big fellows in the trenches. Well, let's 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 just go ahead and get into it. So, tell me about guys that have caught your eye that you've been watching that you just think people really need to appreciate or you know understand. You know what really why they're draftable prospects or high end prospects. You know heading into the NFL. Absolutely, yeah. Two names that um, I really want to get to right off the bat is um, Graham Barton from. Uh, Duke, the left tackle there, as well as Joe Alt, uh, the left tackle at Notre Dame. I think two guys that um, have really just shown you know, not only for you know, but um, last year as well that these guys are that we're going to be watching on Sunday, um, you know, whether they you know get there next year or the year after. Um, I, I think both guys are, have shown that you know not only with their physical tools, but um, just a lot you know what they what they do with their. Um, respectively um they'll be able to you know, really pave the way for themselves uh you know to to make it to the nfl um barton to me the guy that i really really love um you know six five three twenty uh he he's a guy who really just so stout in the run game i think um you know he put on a show um against clemson and you know, there were just times where i mean he was really dogging guys um you don't see something like that um, with a, a program like Clemson, I know they're not necessarily what they were a couple of years ago, but still, um, really was I, I think the biggest X factor in you know Duke's upset win in Week One. Um, you know, I think Barton is a really, really strong pass protector and a guy that you know is going to be able to play either right or left tackle once he gets to the NFL. Um, now, talk about Joe All. I think you know All is kind of like the. The prototype, you know, he's six eight, three fifteen. Um, you know, he's got NFL lineage with his father, and you know, I think he's a guy that even is a little bit more moldable, um, just because he, you know, his background, he, he's you know still um, developing, and he, I believe he was a high school tight end as well. Um, so the fact that he's already as um, dominant as he is um, is truly remarkable. But I think with him. Um, you know, yes, his ceiling is high, and yes, he's already put out a lot of great tape being an All-American last year, but I think he's even got another level to reach. Um, you know, it, it, it always, it's always tough when you've got these two types of prospects because, you know, Barton, in my opinion, is a more finished product. Um, you know, he, he's, a, he's, he's a little bit more seasoned. He, he's got, um, he may be closer to what his ceiling could be in the league, 
um, right at this point at this point in time. But I think all you know, he's got that much. He has that much more potential to even grow. So um, it's going to be fun watching both of those guys, and especially you know both of them being in the ACC. Um, you know, they or no, I'm sorry, both of them competing against schools in the ACC. I know really independent, but. Um, They'll get you, there. <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll all just be one amorphous conference at some point, right? You know, so anyway. Most definitely, most definitely. Kyrie, what is it that you look for in a tackle? I mean, it seems like a difficult position to play, given that you have to keep a defender from going forward while moving backward, uh, which seems counterintuitive. But what are you looking for in tackle? Yeah, you know, I want to first off shout out to my um, one of my line coaches when I was playing at St. John Fisher, uh, Buddy Sims, who actually was, who is uh, really good friends with Tom Coughlin. So, you know, got a lot of tutelage from Coach Sims. And, um, and you know, he always told me it's feet, hands, eyes. Um, you know, you got to follow the feet. I think, you know, just with the way that football has progressed um, to this point now, you know, if, if you're not an athlete out there, if you're not able to move well, um, you know, you're really going to hold yourself back um, and, and, and really set yourself uh, back from being able to excel. Um, you know, guys that not only can move well, though, but have the technique that, to match with that, I think is important. But then, like I said, hands are key. I think when it comes to handwork, yes, you know, there are guys that are more strikers. There are guys that are more, they like to just cover guys up. Um, I think the biggest thing is just you got to be able to strike. You know, you got to be able to attack and I think, you know, knowing how to even set defenders up with your hands. You know, there are a lot of times where you can give fakes and, you know, you can really lure a defender in um, just to be able to lock in on them from there. And then, like I said, the eyes. Um, you know, as a lineman, I think one, um, you know, one thing that I really learned playing under Coach Sims was that, you know, as, a, as an offensive tackle specifically, to assess what, where, what the defense may do, you've got to be able to, point out where the safeties are um just always key in on those guys because they're you know whether they're rolling coverage whether they're playing inside the box whether it's single high um two shell you know that's going to be able to really give you an inkling of what may be to come obviously post snap versus pre-snap are two different things but i think um you know being able to lock in on that so i would say feet hands and eyes from there so you know let's let's that's a great question let's swing that back to barton and all what is what about their hands or feet or their eyes that you saw with them that really stand out and maybe might project well towards the NFL, whether it's a specific scheme fit or specific things that you see in the NFL game? And when you watch them, you know, their feet, hands and eyes, you know, how does that connect? Sure, yeah, I think I'll start with all. Um... All for a guy his size, he's amazingly gifted in terms of athleticism. You know, obviously I mentioned him being a former tight end, um, but he just moves so well. He's so fluid for, you know, a guy that you know is the size of most NBA power forwards in terms of height. Right? Um, I think he really shows that you know when he's in space, he's comfortable. Um, so you know, even if he's got a speedier edge rusher, um, he can match wits with them when it comes to that. Um, you know, I do think his hands need to improve. I do think, and again, like I said, you know, he's raw in the aspect of being a former tight end. So, you know, he he, he used to be, you know, quote unquote, considered an athlete. Um, but I, I think as he continues to grow and develops and, you know, it goes through his maturation process, process, he'll continue to improve there. 
Um, now with Barton, I, I think he really, really, truly has some of the best hands I've seen for, for a lineman um, over the last couple of years. You know, it was a treat to watch him against Clemson. Um, and I think with, you know, just the way he attacks defenders, um, you know, I think there are times where linemen can get caught up with, oh, you know, let me wait, let me wait, let me wait. Let me, let me not lunge and, you know, get beat on a double move, things like that. But he really attacks guys, um, locks in, and, you know, a lot of times finishes them from there. So, um, and then in terms of the eyes, I think their eyes um, are pretty clear. Like, they, I think they both are pretty heady players. Um, I think guys that can, you know, really direct their teammates along the line, but also, too, you know, they – you know, whether it's um, being able to communicate in terms of a switch, uh, passing off um, to their um, guards. And I think both of them have the ability to do that, which obviously takes athleticism and, you know, the feet and the hands come into play with that as well. But their eyes are in the right place. So they're never really all over the place with it. Um, I think both of them just have little te technique issues that they, or t technique um, areas that they could improve on, but nothing in terms of um, glaring red flags there. Awesome. Well, let's let's go ahead then. And, you know, we've talked about two skilled players. Let's talk about some guys that maybe aren't in the trenches um, that, that have caught your eye, because you certainly have mentioned a good number of guys in your past two weeks of comps. And I certainly um, recommend people to head over to MattWaldmanRSP.com and check out what Kyrie's been doing, because, uh, you know, he's he's a very good writer and his and the video work that he shows to back things up is awesome. And, um, you know, I've really had a it's been a pleasure to get to see, you know, what he's been doing and what he's adding to the site from a perspective that obviously, you know, I don't even look at um, at all. So but it's fun also to see, you know, who catches your eye for players that I will probably be looking at that Felix and I probably be looking at, you know, in our respective camps in terms of the stuff that we do. So who are some of those guys? Well, you know, like you said too, you know, as a as a lineman, it was it was never fun not not being able to record any stats. So I was always just laughing what those quote unquote skill guys were doing there. Um, but that's you know, envy. I've never heard of that, but that's kind of that, that makes sense. <laughs> hey, you know, when you don't record them yourself, you know, you got to just become a fan at that point and watch everybody else. But um, you know, one guy that I, I really wanted to talk about first is um, Keon Coleman. Um, First of all, you know, the performance he put on against uh, LSU um, in week one was just phenomenal. Three touchdowns, 138 yards, seven catches. And, I mean, I just think he he's really one of those um, – I don't want to say a throwback, but, you know, you don't see a lot of 6'4", 215, 4'4", guys anymore. That's a, that's a rarity, you know. I mean, he reminds me of a George Pickens in terms of frame. But he's, I think he's got even a little bit more natural athleticism than George Pickens. Um, but, you know, I think the guy is just going to be phenomenal for um, FSU this season. Jordan Travis has a – it's Jordan Travis really is a lucky duck because he's got that guy to throw to opposite of Johnny Wilson, who, you know, is a 6'7", 240-pound uh, receiver as well, who, you know, we'll probably see on Sundays as well. But um, I think Keon Coleman is – you know, one of those guys, it's clear that he's a, you know, absolutely dominant athlete once he gets the ball in his hands. Um, I mean, his first touchdown play against LSU was unbelievable. Um, he had a hurdle uh, against Southern Miss this past week as well. I mean, again, just naturally gifted guy. 
Um, but yeah, I think and then outside of that, in terms of you know some of the um, other uh, skill guys that I wanted to discuss now, um, you know, I know we were we were saying we were going to talk about some quarterbacks, and um, but I also wanted to mention you know a guy who kind of is in the middle in terms of you know being a skill guy, but he is a part of the trenches as well, and that's Benjamin Urasek from uh, Stanford, their tight end. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that, you know, first and foremost, I always find it interesting when a school, you know, features a specific position, you know, whether it's Penn State with linebackers. Stanford has really become tight end you at this point. Um, you know, whether it's been Kobe Fleener, whether it's been um, Dalton Schultz. So, you know, he, he's really the next in line. And, you know, I think what he showed um, against Hawaii, even in the loss last week to USC, he's a guy that, you know, he can make a lot of big plays. He can go up and get it, you know. Um, they, they, you know, they, they do the head taps for a reason, you know, and they put the, the cookies on the top shelf for, for the guys that can go get it. And he's one of those guys, um, you know. And I do want to say this about about Urasek. So uh, Stanford's all, uh, head coach came from Sacramento State, fun offense at Sacramento State. They put up a lot of points. However, they never featured the tight end. So that was a concern coming into the season as to whether or not – Ben Urasek, who, for all intents and purposes, they're, you know, along with Emmett Smith's son, the two best offensive players on the team. So for a coach to, which most, which coaches should do, by the way, they don't always do that, but for a coach to come out of their regular tendencies and scheme up players, plays for this player and to feature this player, I think, I can't remember the coach's name, but you have to commend him because featuring the tight end is not something that they did. Uh, at Sacramento State, and they have done so this far with uh, with Ben Yuris. For sure, and I'm so glad you brought that up, Felix, because that's one thing that I've always um, really just I, – I can't wrap my brain around how, you know, there are some coaches, and I totally understand. Billy yeah. Napier. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> don't want to no, point any fingers now, but, you know, I, I really do think there are times where, um, you know, coaches get a little too caught up in this is my scheme, not breaking this mold. Sometimes you have to adapt to your skill set, to the skill sets of your players um, and, you know, work with what you've got. You know, it's almost like the high school mindset, right? Like you, you can't necessarily pluck guys out and re recruit them unless you're, you know, at a Catholic school or, you know, things like that. But um, I think, you know, with Eurosec, it, it, has, it has been a treat to see, you know, what he can um, provide in the passing game. And he's not a slouch in the running game either. You know, I think that that's the beauty of it. You know, he's going to be a guy that can come into any NFL offense next year and you know contribute, whether that's as the number one or the number two tight end. Nice. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, you know, I know that there are fantasy people that will look at some of the Stanford tight ends and say, well, you know, Schultz was good, you know, certainly. And, you know, but. You know, we and Fleener was okay. Austin Hooper never really got to where people expected, and there were a bunch of, you know, big tall guys who ran great in the at the combine who never really managed. But we need to remember the fact that these guys are even being invited to the combine is a big deal. It's a big deal, and that does that does lend its name to being a tight end. You situation for sure you know i know there's some folks in my in my old hometown of past 20 years at georgia who think that they're going to be the next challenger for that um you, you know fairly soon but stanford i mean the like you said the way you you laid out those points makes total sense um so 
you know, you want to talk quarterbacks, you know, who, who's a quarterback that, that you really like out of, you know, that either is going to be this class or future classes. For sure. I mean, it, first of all, I, I will say too, you know, I, I think it's, we're at a very unique point in time because I don't know if we've seen a deeper um, talent pool of quarterbacks in college football at one time. Um, you know, whether it's Caleb Williams, whether it's uh, Drake May, whether it's Quinn Ewers. I mean, there are so many guys that are just lighting up um, these defenses and, you know, should have a future in the NFL. Um, you know, it's it's hard not to, uh, you know, give kudos to what Shador Sanders is doing out in Colorado. And, you know, and I personally, like, I'm not necessarily surprised to see what he's doing because I was a fan of his um, at Jackson State. And, you know, I always thought, you know, like I said in, in my um, Tone on the Line column, you know, I think he's just a smooth operator. You know, he's a guy that, you know, takes what the defense gives him, gets the ball out with anticipation. He's got a pretty strong arm. You know, I'm not saying he's got a um, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes arm, but it's not like he does. Right, yeah. exactly. You know, we're talking about one of ones um, in the NFL, you know, so I, I think Shador really has a future um, in the league, you know, and obviously he's got some nice resources because his father is one of the greatest to ever do it, you know. So um, I, I just think with him, you know, he, he's going to be a guy that we're going to see play at the next level. Um, He's not necessarily the greatest athlete in the world, but that's okay. I mean, if you're if your strongest skill set is being able to dissect defenses from the pocket, then you're going to do just fine, you know. So, um, and like I said too, I, I think Quinn Ewers is a guy that is really intriguing. Can and I, I touch on Shador for a second because I do want to jump in here. So I think that as we get into the season, we're going to have to see Shador throw into to tighter windows against man coverage. That's what I think because mm -hmm. they've been they've been playing a lot of coverage against uh against Colorado because they can't run the football so he's facing a lot of three down linemen etc cetera, etc cetera. he's he's got a lot of time to throw the ball I think when they get into Oregon when they get into Utah when they get into Washington you know those those and they've been spreading the ball out I think that you're he's gonna run into a team that's going to be comfortable playing man-to-man -man against four wide receivers and that is – I'm going to be interested to see how they play in those situations because they have not been able to run the football. Dylan Edwards, uh, the freshman running back there, he's had a great season up until this point, but he's had a great season like catching the ball out of the backfield, not running in between the tackles. Mm -hmm. There's either he's going to have to be good to throw into tighter windows or they're going to have to develop a running game. Now, Colorado has um, – oh, shoot, the transfer from Houston, Alton McCaskill, who tore his ACL last year. He has not been healthy to the, up until this point. He hasn't played up until this point. If you add him to the mix, your running game is going to be better because he's also a very physical runner. Hadn't been healthy enough to play yet. But that is something that I'm watching for because Shador is getting a lot of time out there because defenses are just not – they're not bringing – they're playing coverage against him. They're not blitzing him. They're blitzing him on third down. But generally speaking, they're not blitzing him. So I'm really interested to see how he plays – when he gets to Utah, when he gets to Oregon, when he gets to, you know, Washington, these, some, some of these other teams that might be more comfortable coming up to the line of scrimmage and not giving you gimmies, you know, over the middle of the field to Joe Horn and Xavier Weaver and, uh, and their cadre of wide receivers there. The, corner, the cornerback's point of view. There we go. So, you know, <laughs> that, that's, that's a great point. So, yeah. So, so so you were talking about yours, right? 
Your yeah, Quinn Ewers too. Um, you know, I think first and foremost, um, this is just a sign that, you know, we shouldn't give up on guys, right? You know, obviously it's well documented what happened with him at Ohio State. And, you know, I'm a Buckeyes fan, so I can speak to how disappointing it was to see him heading out. But, you know, he's really made a complete 180. Um, and, you know, something was, that was really telling was listening to um, ESPN uh, college, radio, college football – or, I'm sorry, college radio yesterday. Um, and hearing, you know, Holly Rowe just shared, man, like – He's just matured so much. You know, I think that's step one. You know, I mean, do you want him to, if you want someone to be the face of your franchise, you want him to be a, a, a grown up, right? You know, you want him to be a leader. So I think hearing that, you know, above any physical tools and things like that, I think is most important. Um, you know, I think we all know uh, what type of talent he has. I mean, he does a little bit of everything. You know, he's got a pretty big arm, he can move around. Um, he's got a, such a unique throwing motion. It's so whippy. Um, I, I really, it's hard to compare him to, to anybody, you know. I mean, he has the frame of a, you know, of an Aaron Rodgers type, and I wouldn't even necessarily compare him to Rodgers, but, you know, I just think that, you know, with the amount of arm angles he can throw with, and um, he showed, obviously, you know, what he, what he put on um, tape, you know, against Alabama. I mean, he's one of, I believe, only – three quarterbacks since uh, 2010 to win at Bama, um, you know, with Johnny Menzel, Chad Kelly as well. Oh, and Joe Burrow, so four. Um, so, yeah, he he's definitely, you know, a guy that showed his medal. But I think the big thing with him is just continuing to show consistency. Um, you know, he didn't that, I have my – that is the exact word for Quinn Ewers. I have been calling Quinn Ewers a sell in our formats for, well – the better part of two years and what you saw in Alabama is him be consistent on the deep passes so again in week one against Rice he was 0 for 6 on passes that traveled uh farther than 20 yards against Alabama he was three for five on those throws and I was ready to tear him down in the first quarter because he missed Xavier Worthy on a play where Xavier Worthy split the deep split two defenders and got like two th two or three yards of separation which would have been a touchdown he actually I, it might have been the same drive where he threw the touchdown pass what? on the left side to Xavier Worthy and I'm telling you I saw the difference he said I'm going to throw this differently I'm going to give him a chance and he put the the big air under the ball you know i would equate it to i got a one and one uh uh in basketball and i need to make this shot yeah. and you saw him you know make sure that he gets this one because because on that pass the the, the completed pass there was a 44 yard touchdown xavier worthy had like seven yards of separate there was nobody around him but Quinn Ewers has been prone to miss those throws mm -hmm. so consistency on the deep balls is something that he has to have he has been so inconsistent with his feet throwing across his body like feeling pressure that is not there I would even argue uh in in the first touchdown pass that he threw to Xavier Worthy he still had happy feet on that throw was just kind of jumping around so he's got to settle down, and it's funny during the broadcast, Steve Sarkeesian talking. He missed. The, he's missing throws. What he has to do? He has to get back to his base, and he kind of, sort of did that. But let's. I, I think with Quint Ewers, defenses, defenses have known that um, this guy is not accurate deep. Mm. 
So that's, you know, he, I don't see him throwing into a lot of cover two holes. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the, tur the turkey hole. He hadn't been doing a lot of that because there ain't no safeties back there. Right. If he plays this way, he's going to get, you know, all right, we're going to respect you a little bit more. We're not going to do these zero coverage blitzes, et cetera, et cetera, and letting you just letting these outside receivers just run past our corners. He's going to have, you know, a safety in the middle of the field or too high to shell where he's going to have to put it into either either fit into to, uh, tight windows deep or take the underneath stuff, which quite frankly, I mean, he's already been good at that. But if you're the this highly rated recruit, we expect you to push the ball downfield and press the issue. And he has, right. had not been able to do that. I'll be interested to see how he plays and how defenses play against him moving forward because I – okay, you did it once. You were accurate. You were three of five on passes that – traveled over 20 yards uh, against Alabama, you know, but you have not been very good deep overall. Everybody was talking about how Anthony Richardson was a terrible passer last year with what a 54% completion percentage. Quinn yours is like at 57. So, and, and he doesn't, he's not going to run a four, three at the combine or be 240 pounds. So um, no, I like what you're saying about Quinn yours. Still sell him. I would still recommend to sell him. And I remember last year I was on this show with Mr. Waldman talking about DJ Uyunglele after the Wake Forest game. And I was like, you still should sell him. And I'm still selling Quinn Ewers. Listen, I respect it. I, I totally respect it, you know, and, and, and I think it's very fair, you know. I mean, that was obviously the best, biggest performance he's had in his career. Um, and I think the fact that he did that on that stage and that spotlight, you know, I think is great tremendous you know showed that hey this is this is the guy we expected you know he's the literally the greatest high school recruit that we've seen in in, in history right so you know for you to have that title you know heavy is the head that wears the crown so we've got to expect more from him and you know like you said i think that seeing what he did in the deep with the deep balls um throughout he i mean there were a couple throws throughout that it just looks so effortless for him. But like you said, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, consistency is key. Um, being able to, you know, stack throws, stack games, and really just, you know, stack things up as, as the season progresses here, that's going to be the key for Quinn years because, you know, from here on out, they've got to be the favorite in the Big 12. Um, you know, I don't see a team that necessarily can match up with them um, in terms of firepower. So, realistically it's it's all on him now so you went from being the hunter now you're the hunted you know how can you handle that that type of pressure now nice. and i i know it's i know it's college football it's big time college football they're playing on the road at alabama but the deep throws that we're talking about him completing are relatively speaking our layups we're talking about you know one of the best deep threats in the country mm -hmm. in xavier worthy and there are some plays where he is literally he is getting four and five steps on guys. He did it last year, and Quint Ewers was missing him. So you know, we're not asking him to put you know the ball through a keyhole. We're asking you to just you know give him a chance. And he did that on the two throws, one to Adnai Mitchell and the other to um, uh, to Quint Ewers. He also had a really nice kind of back shoulderish deep Worthy. throw to Adnai Mitchell, yeah. and 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 that one was in. That one was against uh, uh, a too high shell with man, uh, over the top. So he actually put it. That's kind of what I want to see. I want to see that more consistently. Um, if you're, if you are, you know, 
like your, your words, the greatest quarterback high school recruit. We got to see you push the issue and put the ball in some of these tight windows. And there was one of those throws to Adonai Mitchell. I take my hat off to you, you know, along the sideline, back shoulder. There was safety coming over the top. You put it in the perfect spot. I want to see more of that. I want to see more of that. For so, sure. So who fits the bill for you, Felix? Who, you know, you know. As far who, as quarterback goes, I yeah. mean, I've had some of my favorites for a long time. And uh, Tyree, I cannot believe you didn't say the name Michael Penix Jr., who is one of the best left-handed gunslingers I've seen. And I like, I just like his story. Um, obviously started at Indiana and saw some – he took over for an incumbent for like a junior uh, and took the starting job from a junior. And you kind of just immediately saw how much velocity he had on his actual balls. But it was after that where you saw him, and I would point anybody to, I think it was the 20, it was either the the COVID season or the after, where they played Penn State at home the first uh, the first game of the season. And, um, and I believe that was the Penn State. Yeah, Penn State was favored by whatever. Indiana hadn't beat Penn State since like 1991. Michael Penix Jr., the thing that you saw in that game, the thing that you have seen later on in his career is that he will get hit right in the mouth and will still deliver the ball downfield. And to be honest with you, he does all the things that Quinn Ewers doesn't. If he was a four-star prospect, people would be talking about, oh, Michael Penix Jr. is, you know, a potential first-round pick. If he didn't have two ACL injuries, people might be talking about that too. But I think that we've seen his ceiling at Washington because at Indiana, he was not well protected. Go watch him uh, play against Justin Fields, Justin Fields last season against Indiana. He almost led a comeback uh, against uh, against Ohio State in their own place, in their own place. And his offensive line, terrible. What was he st- doing? Still completing passes. And he's not a player that can move a whole lot, but you see him navigating in the pocket and stepping up and keeping his eyes downfield and throwing the ball downfield. He, he he can take contact around his legs, in his mouth, in his chest, and still deliver the ball downfield accurately. That's what I love about Michael Penix Jr. is just how tough there, there's a play in that Penn State game where I think his helmet got knocked off and he still uh, uh, completed like a slant over the middle uh, in a tight window. So when we talk, I mean, yeah, we got Drake May, we got Caleb Williams. If Michael Penix Jr. did not have two ACL injuries and he wasn't a six-year player, I think that we would be talking about him being a first-round pick. Now, when I look at you know the physical traits and compare him to someone like Hendon Hooker from last year, Hendon Hooker, in my opinion, somewhat a product of that Art Briles system that gets players open, I think Michael Penix Jr. could play in any system. I really do. And so... If it were not for injury, I would put him at the end of the first round. I think that he's going to go in that second round range, right around the place where where Hendon Hooker went to the Detroit Lions. Well, you know, you go ahead, Kyrie. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say no. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Felix. Um, just because you know, I, I think with with Penix, like I've watched more film of him, you know, from his days in Indiana. But I totally agree. I think the fact that he isn't an, an offense that's um, more predicated to, you know, attacking defense downfield. It's a little bit more conservative when he was there in Indiana. And, you know, I think people don't give that enough credit. Like, yes, you know, he was still growing up, developing as a player, but, you know, you can only, you can only um, 
spread your wings so much when there's uh, when you've got some weight on the, on those wings, you know. So I think that that was part of the issue there. But I, that's what I'm really excited about this season. There's so much, so many great quarterbacks in the Pac-12 this year overall. Um, so I'm just excited to be able to see, you know, as he goes, um, you know, as he continues on on, on the schedule this this year, whether it's him, um, Bro Nix, Caleb Williams. I'm ready to just uh, dive into all of those matchups general so um but yeah I, I think you know as the season goes along I, I definitely want to take a look more so at um what Michael Penix has already you know established in Washington and you know how he can really cap things off this year but like you said too I think Hendon Hooker is a great comparison just because you know similar um stories um and just the fact that you know guys that you know really it and if he continues to do what he did last year, um, you know, they're going to be going out on top, you know, in terms of their best performance, you know, on tape, you know, really being able to to end things. You know, maybe things were a little murky at the beginning, but the fact that they became elite college players at the end of their career, I don't think they need to be discredited for that. I think they need to um, be, you know, rewarded. Michael Penix Jr. is taking the Kenny Pickett path in his uh in his college trajectory, you know, having that one last explosive college season before he enters the NFL draft. Now, now he did it in 2022, had a great season, stayed healthy. He had never played 12 games. Got to do it again this year, you know, and show the same consistency. But he definitely, at Indiana, I'm, t I'm telling, Matt, I've got I've got a, a, a video where I'm comparing Michael Penix Jr. to something that, um, Kyler Murray did. People like went crazy because Kyler Murray made this play where he was, you know, getting hit in the mouth. I'm like, Michael Penix Jr. does this four or five times a game, at least at Indiana. At Washington, he's been really, really well protected. And you see what his ceiling is when you give him this time because, again, likes to push the issue and he has, he has a pair of, you know, early draft capital wide receivers in Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan, and even a third guy there in Jalen Polk, who's who's also six foot two, six foot three, and probably runs a four five. He's the third guy there. So, um, I I when it comes to the quarterback three in this class, can't disrespect my man, my man Michael Penix Jr. I've been riding with him for a very long time. Well, you know, those are definitely some great names, and it would be easy for me to bring up. Caleb Williams and then there's Bo Nix who you know to me is kind of a Mitchell Trubisky-esque type of prospect in terms of what you know on the good side what people hope from Trubisky but also there's some elements to his game that may be of what you actually got from Trubisky um I haven't watched Drake May yet um I tend to be late to watch quarterbacks until you know the end of the season but I did start early I did watch Caleb Williams a few games of his but you know, we'll be talking about him an awful lot. So let me bring up some lesser known guys who, one, I'll, I'll just say, might make it to an NFL roster. And that's the former um, the former kid from West Florida, the transfer um, to the Division II National Championship in 2019, um, who is now with Western Kentucky, and that's Austin Reed, the 6'2", 230-pound quarterback. I watched him against Auburn, Troy, and um, Indiana um, um, last year. And certainly, I saw, man, the guy throws hard. That's, I mean, that, to me, that's what will get the attention of a lot of people who 
who surface level scout guys, um, they'll say, man, he throws hard. And he begins and ends kind of with, you know, unfortunately he's a little bit guilty of, you know, his mechanics being off because his, his stance gets really wide because he looks like he's trying to throw it through a brick wall pretty much with every throw. Um, and he needs to take some fewer chances in the red zone, become a little bit more aware of the intermediate zone drops. But I think his footwork, he has, you know, good pacing with his drops. I think that he has kind of a good pacing and spacing with three and five step drops. He's succinct with transitioning from the end of his drop to his setup. So the, it's not his initial drops that are the issue with the mechanical flaw. It's just that he's trying to kill somebody with the football. And if he can kind of fit, you know, kind of lessen that a little bit, not feel like that he's got to, you know, have a chip on his shoulder every time he throws a football, I think he'll be okay. He, he'll have something to work with there. Um, I love his play fakes. I think that, you know, he's fairly effective with some of the things that he does in, in the play fake game. Um, there's a little bit of, you know, nuance with his pump fakes. So, I mean, he's a fun player um, who can manipulate um, at least flat coverage, you know, cover defenders in the flat. He does a pretty good job at that. He does a pretty good job of working through progressions, at least one to two of them. He'll open up to one side of the field as a way of manipulating during drops. And I like that he can scan boundary to boundary. So, any obviously, for a guy who throws that hard, you, don't, you know he's not afraid to squeeze targets in, um, which I think isn't bad. He just has to be a little more cognizant of you know where the dropping defenders are in intermediate zones and that's common for a lot of guys in the college game at this stage so you know i like that you know he'll he'll deliver in a tight pocket he can move his feet pretty well you know he's someone that's gonna stick to an end of a roster i think you know if aiden o'connell had a chance and certainly played well in the preseason um you know it has people talking I think Austin Reed might have a chance to do a little bit of that. Then I just want to bring up a guy because he came up again to me with a conversation with a scout in another league. And I watched Tyson Bajant last year and really liked Tyson Bajant um, out of Shepard. And one of the games that I watched, he was playing the Colorado School of the Mines. And the Colorado School of the Mines quarterback was playing really well to the point that I mean, this guy, I mean, listen, he's 5'11 and at the weight that I'd like to be at probably within the next two to three months, um, but probably will take a while for me to get there because I'm still probably closer to, let's say, let's say I'm somewhere between Christopher Brooks and probably uh, and Joe Mixon, you know, same height, but not quite the same weight, uh, you know, kind of the same weight, but not quite distributed the same way. Um, we'll put it that way. Um, but John Matacha of Colorado School of the Mines, 5'11", 180, who was Division II's preseason most valuable player um, in Lindy's publication. Um, and, you know, and he was the Harlan, Award, Harlan Hill Award winner um, last year. So, you know, Division II guy. And I just watched him go throw for throw. You know, it's not like they face each other that way, but still, they go throw for throw with Tyson Bajan who essentially, you know, he made the Bears roster and they might think has a future at a pretty nice preseason. I, you know, he doesn't have a great arm, but he moves extraordinarily well. Um, he can find the open man. He reads the field. He does great on off um, structured plays. And I had a guy in Canada talk to me about him saying, you know, people have their eye, they might have their eye on this kid. Um, 
and by that time for that league. So, you know, we're obviously C2C doesn't do Canada, but I just thought it'd be fun to bring up a kid like that because, um, you know, he was someone that I did get a chance to watch. But on this note, you know, listen, you can follow Kyrie Demos, you know, on Twitter at Riri underscore. What is the... I, what is the punctuation for that underline? Underline demos, right? Or what is that? Well, first and foremost, I, I will share my last name is Demos. Demos. Yeah. See, but my bad. It, it's all good. It's all good. It, this, it's night one. We got we got a lot. We got That's a right. lot. Take care of what by the time um you know this is all wrapped up. But um it's Riri underscore Demos. Um you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter or X for what for those who call it that now. Um, and yes, you know, like, like Matt mentioned, I'm going to be sharing more on towing the line with, you know, guys in the trenches and talking about, you know, some prospects I see as the season goes along and, um, really just excited to be able to, to talk more ball, you know, especially as a former, um, you know, football player myself, you know, having played at the division one level briefly, um, you know, just excited to see what, what this season has to offer. But yeah, so, um, it's been great, you know. I really appreciate you guys having me on today. Well, it's a pleasure, and we appreciate the grace in which you handled me butchering your name. It's a common thing that happens with me. So, you know, most people who listen in half expect me to butcher a name because they know I don't even, they don't even, they don't even, they know I don't even turn on the audio when I'm watching these games. So half the time I, you know, I have to look it up later. But, uh, you know, Mr. Demos, we are so very happy to have you join us. And uh, we will definitely be, you know, catching up with you again in a couple of weeks. And his column will be out on Thursday. Um, so we'll see him, you know, we'll see the next one for week three on Thursday. And uh, thanks again. Awesome. Felix, Matt, appreciate you both. And I'll be checking in with you soon. Take care. Well, that was great. So, you know, I don't know. We, you were You were telling me. You, you said something to me at some point about Austin Reed. I remember we were talking about him in the past, but yeah. why don't you share that a little bit? Um, I just wanted to add some little, a little bit of color because I, you know, I want people to be able to follow these stories. Austin Reed, I believe, was a post-spring addition to Western Kentucky's team. I don't think he practiced with them with the spring. Uh, this is a team that was looking to fill the shoes of Bailey Zappi who broke all of Joe Burrow's 2019 passing records there at LSU. Uh, the system, the Zach Kitley system coming from Houston Baptist, em employing it and deploying it there at Western Kentucky successfully. They were looking to, again, replace um, uh, Bailey Zappi. And they the initial plan to do that with was with the Power 5 transfer, Jared Dagey from West Virginia. You know, anytime you get a system that puts up a lot of offensive statistics, you can expect, you know, some power five guys looking to transfer down to come in and battle for that spot. Well, Jared Dagey was the guy. And uh, Austin Reed, again, a post-spring transfer at the quarterback position coming from Division Two, beat out this power five quarterback. That's a, It's a hard thing to do if you had all of the spring to practice for, but only doing it in the fall, uh, the summer and fall. I, You know, he's a little bit of an underdog story. So that's one thing that I wanted to include, but also because of the system that he plays in there at Western Kentucky, often considered the quarterback one or two right there in Caleb Williams. I know people don't understand CFF scoring, but Western Kentucky's offense scores a ton of points and Austin Reed is at the center of that offense. So 
from a from a college fantasy football perspective, super valuable, super valuable player. And I just wanted folks to understand his battle with Jared Daigie, the fact that he won it on limited time. You know, that's that impressive. says something about yeah. the type of player that he that he is. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, to win a to win a championship and then come in and do that at the at the next level, that's awesome. So let's finish out this show with an email question from Christopher Gordon, who is a, you know, says he loves the show and he was wondering if he missed us covering Elijah Badger out of Arizona State. I've just joined my first Debbie League. No C2C just yet. Sorry, Felix. Um, and he looks um, quite good to me, but I see him ranked very low in several Debbie rankings. Um, if you guys already discussed, I'm sorry for missing it. If not, at least one listener would be interested in hearing your input. Thanks. Keep up the great work. And P.S. I also love film and theory with Adam Harstead. Keep up the great shows there. So shout out to Adam. So what about Elijah Badger out of Arizona State? What are your thoughts? Yeah, in fairness, I knew the name, but not did not know the details of his um, you know co- career trajectory. So I wanted to look into it. I took a look at our Debbie guide on his write up, and then took a look at his film. And I actually think that our the things that we said in our Debbie guide are pretty accurate. So. Uh, a four-star prospect. I think this is his fourth year redshirted his first year there uh, at Arizona State. His second year, only seven catches for 61 yards and then broke out uh, last year. 70 catches for 866 yards, 12.4 per attempt. Six foot two, 190 pounds. This is a guy that they use uh, a lot of times in the flanker position out wide, but they'll also motion him uh, down to a minus position right outside the tight end. They run a ton of crossers with this guy. I mean, a ton of crossers, and that tells me a couple of things. One is I think you're running crossers with the the guy on your offense that you really want to get the, the ball in their hands because, you know, there's multiple windows for the quarterback. You can run it against man or zone. If you run it against man, you just keep running. If you run it against zone, you just throttle down in an open window. Um, and, and so, you know, he's used you know, a lot, a lot on crossers. Um when he's running crosses against man, you often see him able to beat that trailing defender when he's catching the ball in stride, which you would kind of expect to be a, he's not thin frame, but he's six foot six to 190. He's not like the bulkiest dude, but he, he does run well after the catch. I mean, he will, will beat that first defender on him and a second defender. He kind of has a, I don't know, like a bow-legged or wobble run type thing going on. Definitely not a player that if I'm a cornerback that I'm scared of him running past me. I'm I, what The thing that I'm scared of is once he makes that catch on the slant, I need to come up and squeeze him and tackle him. I think that, you know, going to the next level, um, prob- oh, 25 missed tackles, forced for 25 missed tackles last year. That was first in uh, the Pac-12 and second in the Power 5. Uh, last uh, last season. So um, on those cross, sometimes you'll see uh, wide receivers on crossers. They'll catch the ball with their chest because they're running. It feels more comfortable, but he will extend his hands while he's running away from his body and kind of pluck the ball. I don't see any particular issues there. Again, not a burner. I kind of see him as either continue to play the flanker or a big slot guy. That's actually the two positions that he's, he's really used on. Also, you know, he's one of these guys like, um, 
LaVisca Chenault or Debo Samuel, well, they'll run him on jet sweeps. They'll put him in the backfield and kind of run him up the middle at times. I don't think that he's – that's not something he's going to do predominantly. A, a good college player in a Debbie league, he's not somebody that I would have lost. You know, we're talking about a guy in my rankings, I'd probably put him in the 40s or 50s. In Debbie, you're talking about, you know, you have five rounds. So it's really only the top 20 wide receivers in college football that – I think matter in that format and in C2C, of course, some, a player like this matters, but not a player that I would roster in Debbie. I don't know that his ceiling is particularly high. Good, good college player, um, but probably a day three ceiling at best. And, you know, his calling card is, is being able to shake these defenders that are trailing him uh, on these crossers and, and breaking those tackles and then being able to get, get upfield and quite frankly he'll lower his shoulder into safeties and put moves on safety so a good run after the catch physical wide receiver well look that was great and certainly we know that felix sharp is has a much higher ceiling than day three guy now i don't know about myself i started off i think as a day six guy um and that was probably when they were still doing um only day threes so um but we do appreciate you guys tuning in to the campus to canton rsp podcast of course you know you should be checking out campus to canton leagues um you know because you can play both sides with it i mean you can certainly do the college game you do the nfl game all wrapped up in one it's a great way to get to know these players and just to enjoy your entire weekend of football add a little bit more spice to it in a way that is more about skill and not so much about luck um in the level of you know i mean you, you know you can do your betting but maybe you know in addition to your college betting or maybe as an alternative to some of that you know you can actually do a game of skill that's kind of fun to to develop and i know yes betting can be a skill i i guess i do understand that but they do call it gambling for a reason so anyway you know on behalf of felix sharp at sharp review you can check him out on twitter x whatever you want to call it i'm okay with it um, and I am at Matt Waldman because I'm still going to be there on X or Twitter. They can call it Pluto for all I care. I'll still probably be there. Thanks again. Have a good night.